Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. I'm Gary Cook and you're listening to Trailblazers. From Clontarf in Dublin, Jerry Leonard is basically one of the world's top guitar players. Jerry, can I ask you just um, a little bit about the old days? Because I know you you started off in bands uh, pr- pretty pretty young, and you were considered to be uh, like a bit of a guitar hero. Even when I first started watching you with the Spies in nineteen like seventy nine. So tell uh-huh. us a little bit about that time. What the Dublin you grew up into was there was it was a kind of punk thing and then into the new wave, right? Yeah, yeah. We started out uh yeah, it, it hit pretty early on, you know, Sex Pistols and the, the whole punk thing came, which is kind of terrifying in a way because we didn't know what was going to happen. But that settled down then into into when new wave came along where, you know, there was there was more guitar bands. It's funny, I, I was driving did a drive with my family the other day and Echo and my daughter put on Echo and the Bunnymen. I was like, are you kidding me? Echo and the Bunnymen? Yeah. And now I was thinking, you know, they were super new at the time. And I was, I listened again with new, you know, with new ears to it. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I remember trying to do, like trying to copy this, this format, this new format. But what, what can I say? There was, there was a sense of, of, we had something of our own, which was great. And, uh, you know, the guitar was was something that, you know, it kept popping up as part of the maybe because it was, an, uh, you know, essentially affordable, portable and easy enough to to, to make a noise on. Uh, so it, it, it stayed, you know, whereas it had become virtuosic, maybe and a little overblown in this in the 70s, although there was great stuff in the, in the early 70s and stuff. It was starting to get a little bit like, yeah. whoa, you know. It, it kind of crashed back down to like, you know, if you could bang out something straight eight notes on some open strings or something like that, you're starting to sound like the other bands got an echo unit and off you went, you know? So, you know, that was kind of cool because like I was saying before with this kind of blind faith and, and uh, the, the feeling that it, it was possible, you know, mm. uh, that kind of buoyed you along, you know, um, yeah, punk was a kind of about gave that blind faith thing, didn't it? It, yeah. it allowed people to be, it allowed people to kind of make mistakes and all that. Although, as I say, you were at a very young age a very highly regarded guitar player. Were you aware that you were considered to be by other people? I don't, I don't think I was really aware. I mean, I, I, I thought I know I, I, I know I took to it pretty quickly when I, when I first started learning it, and and it some something clicked with me in the guitar and was like, oh yeah, I get it. You know, um, I probably could have, I probably could have been hothoused a little more if I if I'd known about those things. But there was, that structure wasn't there. You know, there was no, there was no Berkeley College or there was no kind of YouTubes or anything like that. It was just kind of like the guy up the road with, who had, who got up late and had a bunch of records in his bedroom, which smelled a little funky. But you went there and you had a guitar lesson. You know what I mean? He he lent you the record. So. But I think there was a there was a 
one thing about the Dublin scene was there was a sense of like doing something that was identifiable. Like it wasn't so much about being a virtuosic player as opposed to having a thing. Mm. And that was kind of cool. So we were kind of, you know, you were encouraged to kind of like be different than the other players and find your way a little bit with that. And I think that's the thing that eventually when I got to New York, I was able to kind of like, okay, I need to take this formula and really like figure it out. Um, Because it's the only way I can set myself apart from the other guitar players here. And it's the only way that I can make myself hireable, you know, like if I'm just going to be the journeyman, everyman guitar player that can play a little bit of country and a little bit of rock and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I'm just kind of like everybody else then. Um, so I think that was that was the cool thing about, about, the, about the Dublin scene. I, I don't, I mean, I felt like, you know, I, I had ambition to be a guitar player and I was always trying to push myself and I was always trying to like, do something new and original, even though when I look back, it was pretty simple. But uh, so that was there. I, I don't know, you know, if I, I don't think I, I really earned, it's very kind of you to say that I had this this uh, title, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have that sense. I still don't have that sense now. I just feel like, you know, I'm into it. I'm totally into it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I want to keep going. I want to keep creating. I, I'm still, you know, I'm building guitar rigs. I'm always building guitar rigs and looking for new things that are exciting to me. And I'm still studying. You know, I I practice every day and I I try and study. I self study. I don't I don't really I don't take lessons or anything, which probably makes me my own thing. You know, um, I think about taking guitar lessons. I think I may. <laughs> it's a bit late, but I might. I know um, Nils Lofgren does guitar lessons online. <laughs> yeah well there you go there um, you go and uh i i love this there's a kind of you could see him teaching in a school somewhere um because he, he kind of goes i i you know I, I assume that you've got all the you know when you come to the lesson you've got all your uh you've got all your you know you're in tune you know but then yeah. but then but then he's almost anticipating that somebody won't be in tune so he's almost like this marginally i write teacher it's very funny and uh, I love him. I loved him as a guitar player. Who were your favorite guitar players? Who did you love growing up? Well, I, you know, I think I loved uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. That was really mysterious. And, and still to this day, I mean, he, I think he was a, definitely a guitar architect. I mean, his riffs are just, they're written on the guitar. They sound good on the guitar. And they, they still sound good. You know, you, you play one of those riffs and it's just kind of like, yeah. You know, it's it's there's something essential about it. Have I love Have you met him or worked? I met him? I met him once. I met him once. I met him once in in. It's going to sound very exotic, but we were in Tokyo and we did a David show, and they, he came to the show, and we were excited because he was there, and we we're hoping to see him afterwards, and and he and he didn't show, so we we're like, oh, I don't know, maybe he didn't, and so we we're going back to. The, hotel it was gail myself and sterling the drummer and maybe cat russell and we were getting out of the van we were actually staying in that hotel that was in the uh uh lost in translation hotel oh, yes. yeah and right. the, the, the lobby's on the 40th floor right the lobby of the hotel and then it goes up from there and and so you were waiting on the elevator and the elevator opens jing and there's jimmy page with his guy 
and we're like, hey, <laughs> and he's like, oh, right, yeah, you were the guys. Yeah, it was really great, really great. You know, I think I shook his hand and that was it. You know, we didn't get to hang out or anything like that, but he was nice. You know? uh, and it's a matter of interest, just like at that level of people like David Bowie and Jimmy Page and all these absolute legends. I mean, are they competitive with each other or do they are do are they cool with each other? Do they know each other? They know each other. I, I don't think they're competitive. I mean, there's probably a little degree of, of healthy competition going on there, but it seemed like Jimmy was uh he seemed like a he seemed like a good person, somebody who's interested in in the right kind of competition, you know, yeah. competition drives us. Um David knew all those people and they would all come to the shows, you know, you know, often there was, there was, you know, you know, Eno came, you know, Bono would come, whatever, but, you know, Eno was there. Like when we did the show in London, like the first time it was like half the cast of like Lord of the Rings were there and, you know, Eddie Izzard was there and, and, you know, Brian Eno was there, you know, just like a laundry list of people, you know, cause everybody, Loved David, you know, and he was uh, he was uh, he was in those people's lives in a lot of ways too, you know. He as an advisor or producer, I mean, he he produced a lot of stuff and um, he inspired a lot of stuff. So yeah, he had a very good relationship with Iggy Pop, right? Yeah, he and Iggy were were, were good friends. Good and he friends. gave him quite a few songs, didn't he? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, Sister Midnight. Um, there's also songs that are similar, like uh, is it China Girl and Red Sails or something That's like right. that? So, well, I think China Girl, China Girl, according to some copyright I saw about it, was written in 1977, like a long mm. time before it was released. As far mm. as I'm aware, and I know he was in Berlin, of course, with the with Iggy Pop. Uh, with Iggy, yeah, yeah. There's a song that's very similar on one of Iggy's records. It's not springing to mind, but something like that. Um, you know, he produced those records. He produced some Lou Reed records, you know, that, you know, Walk in the Wild Side, that trans was it the Transformer record David produced, Mick Ronson. Um, and you can hear him singing the backgrounds and, and stacking all those background parts like Satellite of Love, all those little bongs and stuff. It's so Bowie, you know. Um, and uh, have you seen Iggy Pop in in the flesh or have you seen him pl play you know iggy's one of those people i've not come across um i i know I, a good friend of mine was his md and guitar player forever and so i i saw some i've seen concert footage and stuff and i've heard a few stories about him um sounds like an interesting guy yeah, he <laughs> really does. I, I i sometimes play with a band uh guy called paul Byrne. do you remember paul the yeah i know paul yeah yeah and uh, he puts a Christmas shoot nanny thing on every year in the summer day, actually. And, yeah. Um, so I play and some of the, I sing with, with some songs and one of them uh, is, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, e-pop, uh, Lust for Life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Just researching this stuff and looking at it, you know, when it's good, when he's live stuff, it's just, it's it's like an, ex it's an explosion. Yeah. Of energy. It's everything. Yeah. Kind of thing, music. Right. 
situation. Yeah, and it's a performance, right? And it's and it's this kind of unleashing of this thing, and it's he gets into like that that state of like where he's like pushing himself and pushing pushing the audience and stuff. You know, I can see why David would have liked him because you know I, I've seen some interviews of the two of them together, and they they just seem like peas in a pod. You know. Um, kind of sli slightly cynical, slightly anarchistic, slightly, you know, um, but yet like passionate about it. And, you know, um, Iggy's definitely a little more of, of a danger mouse than, than David. I don't, you know, David was more like the gentleman of, you know, the thin white juke or whatever. And Iggy's like rolling around on broken glass, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Well, whatever my reference point when I'm performing, he is my reference point, I have to say. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie. Doro, make friends with innovation. I was going to ask you, um, I know you, you play with Rufus Wainwright, you are musical director yeah. for him and also for Suzanne Vega. Yeah. Uh, and a whole lot of other people as well. So, you really are, you know, at the top of your game, really, aren't you? Well, thank you. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I love working with these, these, this caliber of artists, and uh, um, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure. I've always worked with singers, you know, uh, and to the detriment of my own. Like, I, I probably, I probably could have, like, if I have a, re a regret. Uh, which is not really fair. Uh, it would be that I, I would have had more confidence to pursue my own singing. Like I do a little bit on my records, but not my voice is not very strong or whatever. So I've always worked with singers and, you know, Rufus, Suzanne, David, um, Laurie Anderson, all these people are like, they're, they're, they're singers and performers. And, uh, you know, that I, I fit, right in with with people like that because i've always been that person in my band i've always been like the the kind of writer organizer band forming you know kind of person and then you know uh, but i've always leaned on a singer and and written with them but i write more of the music and maybe a couple of lines but i'm not really a lyricist um and i you know when I, so when i when i work with singers they often need that foil they need somebody who's who's going to be their accompanist and maybe somebody who's got some organizational skills or something you know so but yeah i i got to work with rufus on a record uh i guess his producer had seen me play with david and they got me in he was they were camped out in Beresville studios and i went up and you know rufus's music is is complex um uh, because he writes very much around his voice and so the songs will will you know they will morph as they go along so it's not like it's not this structure of like a b a b you know it's like a and then a alt and then a alt b you know it's kind of like with this weird bridge and stuff so i knew when i uh 
when I got the call, I was like, I listened to the stuff. I was like, I gotta, I gotta chart this out because that's the only way that I can make sense of it. So I, I did, I did, I spent my time doing charts. And then when I got up to the studio, I think they were amazed that I could play through the songs, you know, cause most people are showing up going, yeah, sure. It's a few changes. And then it's kind of like, Oh, didn't see that coming. You know, Oh, I see this. Oh, what's, what's this? And um, so when I had it down on the paper as well, I could I could kind of see the sections. And for me, it's a lot about color, you know, um, and they'd be like, well, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, well, can we go to this section? I'd love to do like, I want to do this here and I want to do this here. And I want to do this here. And I do those things and they'd be like, great, you know, let's do another one. And I'd be like, OK. And so I ended up staying and and you know i think they they'd gone through a lot of guitar players but i ended up staying and so we had a good experience and i met kate his mother and we she's got an irish root and we connected i think she liked me um and then um you know we were a bit hit and miss on some tours because my my daughter was being born and stuff they offered me a tour and i had to turn it down and uh, but he came back and asked me for another tour and and we were on the tour and it was, he just moved up to a slightly bigger tour with, with two buses and crews and monitor guys and all this kind of thing. And there was a lot of disaster. It was, it was kind of chaotic because Rufus is, is, he's a brilliant genius, but he's not a detailed person. He just expects, you know, he expects a certain amount of things to happen. I remember going out with him and it was, it was like, you know, I could probably fix a few things for you here. And I kind of talked myself into becoming his MD. I didn't intentionally do that, but he, he came back to me the next day and he's like, will you MD this show? And I was like, I can. And so I had to go in then and, and kind of like get some new people. I had to do some hiring and firing, which is, which I didn't love, but I had to kind of like get it, get it up and structured and, uh, and then, you know, work a little bit with the band in an organizational way. Most at that level, everybody's a good player. So you're not like telling people what to play you're just kind of suggesting that maybe they would do this or maybe lay out or come in or, you know, can we look at this or, you know, fix things. And so, yeah, I became his MD and then um, we did a pretty, did about a year of that. And then I played on his last record, for instance. And, um, and then, uh, you know, he wanted to do the poses record and uh, as a kind of, it was a, anniversary of that record so i put together a band and we did that that was really fun and now he's working with a different band so you know it's it's fine it's not like he comes to me every time um but we've we've had a good relationship and he's super talented i mean it's amazing to work with people who've got that much talent i, I well i know people who are exceptionally smart creative and and all that and it's yeah. it's 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 all inspiring when you see it actually and i have been lucky enough to be around one or two people uh, uh who are like that jerry could i just you're talking about your own stuff with spooky ghosts and i've been listening to quite a bit of it and it's 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 really great i mean your guitar player your guitar playing and the you know you call them overlays but just the text the texture of it um, but also the songwriting is like it's very good, and the I mean I know you could write songs from years ago, you know, with a, like a you know above the thunderclouds. I remember I had a, de a demo of yours uh, hmm. for years, which um, with some beautiful songs on it. Um, yeah, but you, fun. You, actually, you are. I mean, you are a good singer. You were definitely a good singer. Um, it's uh, 
it's coming from okay. a, it's coming from an interesting place because I was thinking, is that Jerry singing? Wow, he's good. Yeah, yeah, I had to do a bit of singing. Well, I, you know, uh, I, it felt like, um, you know, I, I got to, I got to be friend, become work with and become friends with Laurie Anderson. I, I got to give her credit because, uh, you know, and I'd been working with a few people, and then I was kind of, you know like finding my feet in New York and, and, you know, so the work would come and go. And I was in one of those points where the work was not really happening. And I was just focusing on my own stuff. And I would call up Laurie every now and again and say, I have some new pieces. Can I play? And, and I'd play them for her and she'd go, it's, it's beautiful, Jerry. It just needs words. And I'd be like, no, it's instrumental. And she'd like, no, it needs words. And she kept on me. And I was like, oh, I'm no good at writing songs. And she's like, it's easy. Watch, let's write a song. And so she started pulling down poetry books and, you know, she kind of broke the whole thing wide open for me. She was like, you know, it's easy. You know, you just put the stuff down and you move it around and let's try. And we made the song and and in an afternoon. And that kind of like, you know, cracked it open for me. So then I was like, yeah, I have some things that would go on, you know, it's kind of like poetry or whatever that would go with this music and make it more, it would give it another dimension. And so I started playing around with that. And that's where the Spooky O stuff came from. You know, it's 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 a particular, um, it's almost haiku <laughs> in a sense, uh, a lot of those songs. But uh, that was, I, I felt like, okay, I'm not Bob Dylan. I don't, I'm not going to write 15 verses. I just don't have it in me. But I've got two verses that I think are good and a refrain that I think is good. And that's going to be the song. And so with Spooky Ghost, it was kind of like, sure, why not? There's nobody's, there's no rules here. Nobody cares. So I'm just going to do it. And um, that's, that's, you know, and then the second record, I got to play out a little bit more with my friends as, as a trio. And, and I was very influenced by that Talk Talk uh, Spirit of Eden record. And I wanted to make a record in that spirit where it was kind of like live and, and, and but yet textured and, and improvisational. And, um, you know, I was deep into that. And that's what that second record became. And that's, you know, the thing about that spooky ghost stuff was I would I made myself go out and play it live as well, even though it made me very uncomfortable at times to do it. I, I made myself do it. And it was one of those shows that David came to. Like I'd met him, I'd been introduced to him and I played on a couple of recordings, but I think he was considering me for live. And he'd said to my friend Mark Platt, he said, Can Jerry rock? This is what Mark tells me. And and Mark's like, Well, you can go see him for yourself. He's playing on Tuesday night and in this little coffee house called the living room and he came he came to the show and sat there and ended up heckling me and we had a good time but um you know those shows too it was like it wasn't like my show i was part of it like you got the stage at eight o'clock you ran in you set up your gear you played until like eight fifty, and then you stopped and the next band came in so it wasn't kind of like sound check and make everything perfect it was kind of like throw and go and um he came to one of those and uh, he loved it and he asked me to join the band so it served its purpose in 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 its own way um which where 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 am i going with this i guess you know sometimes you have to kind of like follow and make things and it and then and then put it out there and then you know good things will come back from it you know well i would recommend anyone to listen to your spooky ghost stuff because it's it's really, really great, and it's 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 oh, not the ambient guitar. Um, I mean, not that that's simple, but 
it's proper songwriting there if, as if well. You listen, yeah, if you listen to it, you can see it's it's not. I don't think it's showy like the guitar playing. It's not showy. It's 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 and it's not really simple either. But it is. It's just the the way it speaks to me and what I think you know makes for an interesting composition. So I'm trying to be compositional. I'm trying to be uh, convey this sense of like. Like I always, I, I like music that's kind of, um, you know, atmospheric in the sense that, you know, or if you light some incense in a room, for instance, suddenly like it takes, it changes the vibe. If you're in a sterile hotel room and you put a stick of incense up, it's like, oh, light a candle. Hey, it's, it feels better. To me, it feels better. So I think my music is a little bit like that. It's It's supposed to like, accompany you on your in your personal space well you mentioned you... Uh, um talk talk and you're talking about uh, this is spirit spirit of eden and uh, i remember the album their album yeah. color of spring which is an incredible piece of work i yeah. never knew that it was possible for a band to get to those places just yeah. i've never heard anything like it yeah um, and yeah. no yeah. i think you're getting into very similar very similar territory uh, before we go, because we'd have to wrap it up very soon, and thank you very much for talking to to me, uh, Jerry. Oh, yeah. It's great to talk to you. You obviously, we all know what happened uh, with David Bowie and and so on. And you you played on three records with him. You played on uh, on Heathen. You played on, Re on Reality. And yeah. You played uh, on. Sorry, what was the other record you played on? Next day was was the next, was next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I heard you talking just about when he kind of said that he was going to be going doing a, a record, Black Star, um, and you know you you weren't gonna be on it. Was it was that a really uncomfortable moment? That must have been kind of hard, was it? You know, it was a it was a it was a bittersweet thing. I I met him. I. Uh... It sounds like a bit of a name droppy thing, but this happened. I'm on tour with Rufus, and I got a call. Uh, Tony Visconti's son. We're having a, a, I think it was Tony's seventieth birthday, but it was in it was a not a big birthday, and we're like we're putting together a band. Would you come and be part of it? And it was a total crush for me to do, but in terms of time. But I was like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to be part of it. And then David came, and he was there, and I, you know, we spent a little bit of time together. And then he said, um, he said, you know, Jerry, I'm going to be doing something else, but I don't want you to worry. And I was like, okay. And, I, you know, that was very David, you know, and then afterwards I was walking back to the hotel and I was like, okay, I get it. You know, so he's, he's doing something else, but he's also saying to me that this is not the end. You know, it's not just kind of like, because he's done that too, where he's just kind of like you hear from somebody else. Oh, he's working with blah blah blah, and you're like, oh right, never got, didn't get the call. Mm. Oh, I didn't get anything. You know, he, he just moved on, kind of thing. So I felt like he was like, he he made a decision to work with a, this great. Well, the way I understand it, it he wanted to work with um, Marie Schneider, and he did one song with her. And her big band, she's incredible, big band, modern big band arranger. And he wanted to do the record with Maria. 
and she had engagements, you know, artists like that, they tend to be like booked up a couple of years in advance because there are a lot of PA stuff and commissions and stuff. And she's like, I can't do it, but you should talk, go see Donnie McCaslin. And so he went down to bar 55, which is just a tiny little bar. I know this in New York, it's very like the living room, very like where what I'd been doing in a different way. And uh, he had this amazing, and he's an incredible musician. I'm going to be working with him in, again in January, Johnny. But he had a four-piece band, I think, with him. And David went. David loves the saxophone. So he saw Donnie and he was like, I want Donnie, but bring your band. And so he had, he wanted to bring that modern jazz thing. And they're all incredible players, incredible players. So I think he knew that like, okay, Jerry's not going to be on this one um and and he and he 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 more or less told me he did tell me in his own way uh he didn't have to um so was i disappointed yeah but i was also okay with it because i don't i don't think i would have existed so well in that situation i'm not i don't come from that route mm. with those players so it would have been it would have been a case of like well here's somebody from this world and here's somebody from this world and we're going to put it together and see what we get and i don't think he wanted that he wanted to take he wanted to take people from this other world and then put david bowie on top of it so he didn't need this mystery ingredient soup he wanted like okay i want this modern jazz thing and then i want you know david bowie on top so um yeah it was a little it was a little crushing but uh, you you don't always get picked, you know. That's what I've learned over the years. Is you don't always get picked. I know. Um, I, you know. I, now you know how Ronaldo feels, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know. um, but uh, did you know uh, David Bowie was ill? Did you did did you see him before he passed away, or? You know, that was probably the last time I saw him was right before Black Star. I didn't know that he was as sick as he was and to be honest with you i my take on it is that the the sickness that actually like he'd had the heart issue well while I was, I was on tour with him i was on stage with him when he had that chest pain and he ended up going into the hospital and getting the stents and all, everybody was like oh heart attack or whatever whether it was a full-blown heart attack or not i don't know but it was it was the beginnings of and it's it's very common in men <laughs> you know in their 50s uh, to have cholesterol, high cholesterol and, and that kind of stuff. So in a sense, kind of like, yeah, that happened. Um, the thing that took him down in the end was different. It was a cancer and it was very aggressive and it happened very quickly. And I think it happened maybe during Black Star, but certainly around the Lazarus thing. So only the people that were involved directly with that knew about it. Um, and even they were sworn to secrecy so for instance my good friend kevin killen who engineered all those records and kevin and i go way back to he mixed my hinterland record but we we worked in lombard together back in the 80s i mean we're really good friends and he didn't even tell his wife you know um he didn't tell his wife who he was, who he was working with or anything about his illness or whatever so it was very much locked down um so that was the thing and that that happened that was super aggressive. And you hear this about people like, oh, they got pancreatic cancer and they died in six months. I think he he developed this this cancer and <clears throat> it was about a year, maybe six months to a year, and that was it, you know. So 
I don't think he was ready to go in the end. I mean, in the sense that like he was definitely he wanted to work, he wanted to keep going, he wanted to do stuff. Um, but he also did that kind of incredible thing where he he you know Black Star is kind of like that requiem. It you is. Know? And that's so David, you know, to he was he was very pragmatic in those ways of like, okay, what can we write about? Here's something. <laughs> Let's write about this, you know. I remember watching the video for I can't remember which song, I think it's Black Star. Um and he he goes into the wardrobe at the end. Yeah. And my memory of the first time I saw him in the major um uh major Tom video yeah he was coming out of a wardrobe yeah uh, it was my and i just thought there was utter utter genius you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. it was it was there was the knowingness the playfulness yeah <laughs> as you used the word evolved earlier on it's yeah. amongst the most evolved piece of art i've i've ever seen between this, the music and the video yeah Absolutely. he was he was operating on a on a pretty pretty high level in terms of concepts and and uh, you know playing with the with the imagery and and uh, you know and had that ability to you know I mean the whole Major Tom character and how it recurs at the end but how it kind of like maybe he got out of his addictions and stuff and he talks about that you know and ashes to ashes and it's kind of like the putting away of that stuff because he. He, he became sober uh, for years uh, in as a as a consequence to you know being you know taking a lot of cocaine and doing a lot of things you know which everybody did in those in that period but he put it he put it away and he moved on from it um, and he, but he was able to talk about it in his own way too you know so listen thank you very much and congratulations and everything it's my pleasure. And will phone poke a new awet, and will knappy no fum nis orjawet, nis eskalehusod, faker na phone in takatal gwin, on cho, egg daro, and von klishte is dani, gidi gohan la hai glina, agus taskina, ta rod egen gogachtina, ta nismo olis egg daro.com.